Good morning. My name is Jubilee. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Again, that's Luke, chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of O Come, Let Us Adore Him. Parents and guardians of children in kindergarten through fifth grade, you are invited to escort your kids to the back of the room to join kids' comments inside. As you are able, we invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, parents and guardians of children kindergarten through fifth grade, you are invited to escort your kids to kids' commons at the back of the room. Good morning. It's great to be here and see you all here this morning and worship with you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Haverhill Commons Church. Um, There's a fire next to me up here. i got to remember that. (laughs) Be careful. Uh, as is our practice, um, I'd like to invite you into a moment of pause. I don't know about you, but I could use just like a moment, a moment, pause, quiet, peace, to remember and remind ourselves that the Lord is here with us this morning, that God is here to spend time with you, believe it or not. God is here to spend time with you. So let's enjoy for a minute God's presence as we prepare our hearts to hear from his word. Lord, in this stillness, we remember, we are reminded of the life that you've given us, of the gift that you've given us, of the air we breathe, of the time that we have, of the opportunities in front of us, of the relationships that surround us. We are thankful most of all for you this morning and for your presence with us, for the hope that you give us in this season, afresh and anew every single year. We ask that you remind us and remind us of our opportunity we have this season to enjoy you, to spend time with you, to savor you. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen. What a week. What a week (laughs) you're here. Uh, Thanksgiving 2023, here and gone. And as you can tell, we've officially broken the seal on Christmas songs for the year. We just sang our first Christmas carol. Um, From now on, Christmas here at Haverhill Commons. Uh, Our Jubilee, Jubilee series that we just came out of was a really important one for us. It was seminal for our growth as a church. It was intense at the same time. So we are turning the page this week into a brand new sermon series. We can catch our breath a little bit and focus on the joy and hope that we have because of Christmas. Because 2,000 years ago, in a small town, a baby was born to a very young couple, and his name was called Emmanuel. His name was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the hope of nations. He was the light of all of us, the light of life, and he was the Messiah. And when he was born, this vast heavenly army host of angels and other heavenly creatures sang glory to the God in the highest, and they said, peace on earth, peace on earth, on those whom God's favor rests. Peace. It's a big word, especially now with what's happening in our world. 
peace. Peace means wholeness. It means completeness. It means the end of hostilities. It means harmony. It means cooperation. Yet, yet, this holiday, these holidays, as we go into this mad rush, happen to be some of the most busy and stressful and complicated times of our year. I don't know about you, but for me, my world feels like a dead sprint from Thanksgiving all the way through the end of New Year's. Our small group can barely find times to meet during the month of December because we have so much all going on. See you guys in 2024. I'm busy till then. That's kind of the vibe. Some of you love this time of year. You, like, love it. This, you're here for it. You're born for this. You can't wait to get your tree out. You can't wait to decorate. You probably already have your trees out. You probably already decorated your house. You're looking forward to eggnog and Christmas parties and Yankee swaps and advent calendars and pentatonics on repeat and curling up in front of your fire to watch your favorite holiday movie, hot mold, cider, sugar, cookies, Christmas, carols, walking in a winter wonderland. Yeah. So if that's you then Megan Webble is your best friend right now. She loves Christmas. She loves Santa parades, colorful lights, the sights and sounds and smells and spirit of Christmas. She loves it. Some of you are not so thrilled about the next month of your life. Maybe you're even dreading it. You know you'll feel obligated to try and do all the things and there just won't be enough time to do them all. You'll spend too much money on presents that you know are going to be gathering dust in another month. You'll spend time traveling to see family and friends, not because you really want to, but because you're expected to, and the cost of not going is too high. You'll gather all of your emotional resources going into these gatherings because you know that no matter how hard you try, things are not going to go as well as you'd like them to go. Where's the fast forward button to 2024? And if you're a parent, you're not only navigating all of your own emotions surrounding the holidays, you're also feeling responsible for creating Christmas magic for your entire family. And it turns out that Christmas magic is just like a fun term for all the really, really hard work that you end up having to do to make Christmas wonderful for everybody else. Christmas. Hooray! Okay, so let's do a quick Mad Lib. Fill in the blank in your own mind with your own Christmas adjective. Christmas. It's Christmas. It's wonderful? Yeah? It's peaceful? It's painful? complicated? Maybe for me, it's Christmas. It's just full, just full of stuff, of things, of people, of responsibilities, of hosting and traveling and buying and purchasing and returning. And I haven't even mentioned Jesus one time yet. Where is Jesus in the midst of all of this Christmas chaos? Is there any room for him in an already full season? Speaking of full lives and having to make room for Jesus, literally, when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, they also have a lot going on in their lives. The story in Luke 2 that Jubilee just read for us starts not with this young couple, but with the empire. Verse 1 says, In those days Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome, ordered a census be taken of the entire Roman world. Augustus issues a decree, and everyone in the known world packs up their belongings, and they go back to the towns that they were born in. And as someone who has moved way too many times in my own personal life, I can say that moving is not fun. Amen? Moving <laughs> is not fun. Verse 4, but Joseph did it. He did as he was told, right? He went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David where he belonged. That was the town of the house that he belonged to, the line of David. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. Now, as someone who has not been pregnant, but who has been married to someone who has been pregnant twice, I can say, it seems to me, 
Like, being pregnant is not easy. <laughs> this is Megan with our twins uh, towards the end. Like, it was, not e- it was not easy. I don't think I could have walked around. So, pregnant, not easy. In fact, none of this has been easy for our young couple. Months before, Mary finds herself in the questionable position of being pregnant before she's married. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As a result, she was open to criticism, and she was open to judgments. How would Joseph, who was not yet her husband, respond to the news that she was having a baby that was not biologically his? Consider Joseph. He's not sure what to do about this situation, about Mary and this baby. He's confused and troubled and hurt. He's having pretty strange dreams as a result. Plus, taxes are due. I mean, that's the whole reason for Caesar's census, right? Like, taxes are due. Joseph's got to go home to pay his taxes. So he's on this long trip with his not-yet wife, who was very pregnant, to surrender money that he didn't really have to an empire that didn't really care about him. Oh, they're also having a baby. A messy, wonderful, emotional, crazy, hard, miraculous thing. Their hearts had to be so full of so many different feelings. Their minds had to be so full of so many different questions. This is real. This is messy, stressful, overwhelming. It is not a Hallmark Christmas movie Christmas. It's messy. And to top it all off, when they get to Bethlehem, there was no place for them to go. Verse 7 tells us that there was no guest room available for them. You know, I grew up thinking that there was no room for Mary and Joseph at the inn, right? At the inn. In my mind, the inn was kind of like this ancient version of a Motel 6 where weary travelers could get a room for the night. Now, they did have inns in the ancient world, like these commercial inns where you could stay. But there's a different word for that type of lodging. And Luke uses that different word to describe the place where the Good Samaritan paid for the man who was injured on the road to rest and recover. You guys remember that story later in Luke. This is a commercial inn. There's a word for that. The word here in this passage in Luke 7 is the word cataluma. And it refers to a guest room in a normal house. So many of you have catalumas in your house. It's translated as guest room in Luke 22 with the upper room scene with Jesus and his disciples. It's often an upper room. It's on the second level of a house at times. Or maybe it's uh, attached to the side of a house um, next to the main level. This is a cataluma, a guest room for people to stay. So when Luke tells us that there's no cataluma available for Mary and Joseph, what he's probably talking about is a guest room in a small house that's already full. Like, there are already people there staying there because everyone's come back for the census, right? Archaeologists have excavated first-century homes from the Judean countryside, and they have discovered these guest rooms. These are separate from the main living areas, separate from the area where everyone ate and talked and slept. They've also found evidence in these archaeological digs that at night, vulnerable animals will be brought into the homes, into these main areas of the homes, not the catalumas, but the main areas, to sleep. This might sound strange to us to have sheep and cattle and donkeys come into houses, but even in some countries in Europe today, animals share space with people to protect them from the cold and to protect them from thieves. So not an inn, but a home, and not random, but relatives. All right, so this is Joseph's hometown, remember? This is Bethlehem. This is where he's from. This is his people's. So in all likelihood, there's a bunch of family here for him, and In a Middle Eastern hospitality culture, it would have been and remains unimaginable and even insulting for families to turn away relatives in need. So relatives would have taken them in. So to summarize all of this, Mary and Joseph most likely find themselves crammed into the first floor of the home of one of their relatives. 
The upstairs room or the side room, the guest room, was already full of people. The downstairs, full of people. Downstairs, full of animals. Downstairs, full of activity. Lots of stuff's going on. Maybe there's a few steps that separate the animal level from the people level. Maybe there's a few partitions, a few walls kind of created to create these like temporary spaces for eating and there's a space for sleeping. Maybe there's a space for conversing. And somewhere in the midst of all of that common space, Mary birthed a baby. So that's what's happening in the birth scene. You know what this means. We all need new nativity sets. <laughs> right? Because this is not what we see in our nativity sets, right? Jesus was not born in a quiet stable, I don't think, with only Mary and Joseph there and maybe a cow and a sheep. Jesus is probably born in the middle of a busy, bustling, active living room. Emmanuel, God with us, born right into the middle, into the thick of a messy and loud and smelly and crowded and very full space. Which is good news, right? Because our lives, loud and messy, crowded and full spaces. This whole concept, this Cataluma, this living room area, this guest room, living room, this is where Jesus is born. This gave us the idea for this whole Advent sermon series. You know, I think sometimes we have a tendency to keep Jesus in this special corner of our lives, right over here. But that's not actually the way it works, right? Jesus isn't content to stay in this special little corner. Jesus actually wants to get into all the rooms of the whole house, like to all of the areas of our lives. He doesn't want the corner, he wants everything. And that's what our Advent series is gonna be on, what it looks like for Jesus to enter all of the rooms of our houses, so to speak, because our houses now have more than just one big common room. We've got all these different rooms that have these different purposes. What does it look like for Jesus to be in our living rooms? What does it look like for Jesus to come into our dining rooms, our playrooms, our bedrooms, even our attics? And we're calling this series Prepare Him Room. And each week we're going to talk about a different room in our lives and what it looks like to prepare room for Jesus in that space in our world. Today we're talking about Jesus in our living rooms, Jesus in our living rooms. There are a lot of things we could say about our living rooms. We each have memories, I'm sure, attached to our living rooms growing up. Some living rooms have fireplaces. Some have stockings hung by the chimney with care. Some have tables set out for games and puzzles. Some have couches in them. Some have TVs in them. Some have dancing parties in them from the 1970s. Living rooms. I suppose one of the common denominators of most of our living rooms is that this is the room that holds the most people in it. And this is the room where we spend most of our waking time. This is the room where most human activity occurs. It's the room of living, right? The living room. Our living rooms can be so full of living that sometimes I worry that we don't appreciate the moments that take place in the busyness and the chaos of our living rooms, especially in this season, right? We're cramming, we're preparing, we're trying to remember all the details, we're trying to keep everyone happy, we're trying to get everything done to the point of other exhaustion, and before we know it, it's all over. And we're in the aftermath, just cleaning up the wreckage. It highlights the importance, I think, of time, of time. Time is one of our most valuable things. It took me almost dying during heart surgery a few years ago to deepen my appreciation for the time that I've been given. We only have so much time, and we can't make more time, and it can so easily slip through our fingers. <clears throat> I thought this might put it in perspective. 936, 936 is the number of marbles in these two jars. There are 936 marbles I counted 
more than once yesterday in these two jars. This is the number of weeks that a parent has with their child from the time that they're born until the time they turn 18 and leave the house, potentially, to venture out into the waters of the wide, wide world. 936 each week of that child's life from 0 to 18. So our oldest, Griffin, turned 11 last month, which means that I've already shared 580 weeks with him, which means I have 356 weeks left. 580 weeks together, gone, shared, done. 356 weeks left. 356. And next week, 355. 355 weeks to give him what he needs to be a productive, successful, responsible adult. 355 weeks to show him how to play catch or to hug him after he has a bad day at school or to teach him how to treat his friends or to teach him how to recognize the most important things he has in this life, to show him, to tell him that God loves him and is always with him every minute of every day of all of those weeks. And of course, I'll still have time with him after he turns 18. But the truth is that after he moves out of our house, I will have already used up about 94% of the time that I will have with him over the course of his life. And my point in all of this is not to alarm you or to stress you out or make you sad. It's to make all of us more aware of the gift that we have, aware of our time, aware of how we're using this time that we have. Is working those extra hours to make that extra money really worth it? Does responding to that social media post really matter that much right now? The average American spends four hours and 25 minutes a day on their phones. That means, if you add it up, we spend on average nine full weeks, nine full 24-hour weeks, more than two months of 2023 on our phones. And if we're going to spend that much time on our phones, fine, okay? But I just want it to be a choice we actually make, not something that we fall into by accident. I want to wake up one day and realize that the marble jar is empty on one side and wonder what happened as I try to clean up the wreckage. Interestingly, 936 is also roughly the number of hours that we have left in 2023 from right now on. 936 more hours and it will be January 4th, 2024. 936 more hours, and you'll have survived another holiday season. You'll be done traveling, you'll be done hosting, you'll be done unwrapping, done with the chaos of Christmas. 936 hours. What will you do with them? Will they be purposeful? Will they be life-giving? Will they happen by accident? Will they happen by routine? How many of those hours are already right now accounted for in your calendars? How many are already planned? How many are already full of activity? I'm talking about priorities. Priorities. What are our priorities this season? What are the things that we want to make sure we do no matter what? Who are the people that we want to see no matter what? What are the things that we want to appreciate no matter what? And how does Jesus fit in to our hours? In John 10.10, Jesus promised to give us not just life, but to give us life to the full, right? Life abundance, he says. Now, abundance can mean quantity, like the number of marbles in this jar, 
It can mean we have so much life that our jars overflow with a number, like the number of jars or the number of marbles is more than our life can contain. But abundant can also refer to the quality of life that Jesus gives us, not just more stuff, more marbles, but actually a superior, extraordinary, uncommon kind of a life, a life that is rich, a life that we would call satisfying. What does it look like to have that kind of fullness this season? I suppose many of us believe in Jesus, but I imagine that we don't always know how to experience Christ's life in our lives because our lives are already so full of all the other things. Our living rooms are full of people and activity and noise and just stuff. And when there's too much, too fast, we can't actually enjoy it. It's actually impossible to enjoy. They've done studies measuring people's enjoyment while eating a really delicious dessert. That first bite of dessert, I mean, amazing, glorious, transcendent dessert. But when folks devour the dessert as fast as they can, by the time they get to the final bite, it no longer satisfies them the way the first bite did. However, people who took their time, who took in the appearance of the dessert, who took in the smell of the dessert, who savored all the different tastes of the dessert, who appreciated every single moment, they actually found more satisfaction at the end, and they enjoyed it all the way to the end. And they remember the experience longer. And they remember the experience with more joy. The best way to savor life is to slow down. To slow down. Savoring Jesus takes time. It does take time. But I'm telling you, even 10 minutes twice a day, paying attention to Jesus, being with him, savoring the life that he has given us, is enough to be more aware of Jesus and the ways he's transforming all of the areas and all of the rooms of our lives. Ten minutes twice a day is enough for you to sense some of the ways Jesus is inviting you into a different kind of fullness this holiday season. So if you did ten minutes twice a day for the next 39 days, it would amount to 13 hours of the, three, of the 936. 13 of the 936, which is 1.3 of the hours that you have left in 2023. There's no one-size-fits-all way to savor Jesus in these moments that we have left in 2023. The holidays are very different for all of us. Still, I think we all run the risk of running so fast, of doing too much, of cramming too much in, of eating so quickly that we don't savor our Savior and the precious moments that he has given us to enjoy. Sometimes we can forget that Jesus is in the midst of the busy living room, working miracles in what seems like mundane and ordinary. Scripture tells us that every good and perfect gift is from God. So even pausing to remember that 10 minutes twice a day can shift our perspective just enough to turn an ordinary moment into a meaningful moment. And it doesn't have to be something extravagant or gigantic. I mean, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. So just a quick example of how this played out this last week. If you were here last week, we served a special soul food as part of our capstone experience with Jubilee. We served salty and sour foods to taste the collective sorrow of our broken world. And then we also served chocolate and pies that helped us taste the sweetness of God's repair and restoration and life. So the week before that week, when I first shared this idea with Ellen, who is our soul food team lead and does an amazing job, I shared this idea, this concept, and she seemed 
okay with it. It was a very different way to think about soul food. Normally, we'd serve something sweet and pleasant. We're talking donuts and bagels and muffins, popovers, yogurt, parfaits. Delicious. Shifting our mindset to serve food that was not so pleasant on purpose? Well, that's just not the way we normally do things. Yet, Ellen and Gary embraced the process, and they got to work what foods to serve, how to serve them, how to present them. The whole thing, in the end, I thought went great. Some of you, by the end, were so into it that you were pounding pickle and cheese shots. Can I get that picture, please? Like they were candy. Maybe I can see this here. Yes, here's this group. They're just over and over again, pickles and cheese. And Ellen afterwards said that she was moved by the whole experience, the whole thing, the process, the preparation, the end result, seeing people's expressions on their faces as they tried these different foods. She was in this unique position to have orchestrated and contributed to this whole event. And she said that she saw purpose in each item, even the unpleasant ones that meant something, that God was in the preparation of this meal. God was in the execution and the delivery of this meal. God was turning what could have been a task to complete into a moment with spiritual significance for her, an ordinary moment and a holy moment at the same time because God was in it, an ordinary, holy moment capable of taking our breath away just last Sunday during Soul Food. I share that because I think it so beautifully illustrates the value of slowing down, of taking your time with what you're doing, of sitting in a space and savoring the moments that we've been given, expecting to see God in them, making rooms in our minds, making room in our imaginations to see what God is doing in our very everyday moments. Because I think Jesus this season is inviting us into abundant life, inviting us to treasure the time that God has given us, to see in our ordinary moments something holy and something sacred, to see God reflected in the faces of the people we spend time with, to see God in our process, to see God in our preparation. So I ask again, what are your priorities this holiday season? What are the things and the people and the experiences and the moments that are the most important ones to you? I'm sure you have a lot of priorities. I'm sure they're all good priorities. Now choose your top three. Choose your top three. Your top three priorities for the next month. How many of the things you're about to do this next month line up with those priorities? When you say yes to something, is it purposeful or is it routine? Does it does saying yes to that thing take up so much room in your life that you're effectively saying no to something that would better align with your priorities? And I, I say that now on whatever date it is, November 26th, because it's not too late to do things differently this season. And I say that knowing that many of us already feel overwhelmed, already feel anxious about what's in front of us for the next 39 days and 936 hours. But we have them still, the 936 hours. We can allocate them however we want to from this moment on. How might we incorporate a spiritual rhythm, rhythm with Jesus before our lives get so full of all of the other things this holiday season? What can you say no to so that you can prepare room for what's most important? Jesus meets us where we are, right here in the midst of our busy, full, crazy lives. Sometimes we might imagine that we have to go like, find Jesus. We've got to go find him this holiday season. But Jesus actually comes to us like, that's the miracle of the incarnation. Like, Jesus comes into our world to where we are, 
We don't have to go searching for Christ this Christmas. He's already with us in our messy, full, chaotic lives. We just have to make room so that we can see and savor and taste our Savior who is already with us. The Word became human and made his home among us. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Word became human, and the Word made his home among us. He came into our world, into our neighborhood, into our living rooms, into our mess, so that he could live with us. So that means that Jesus is right here, like with us right now. And because he is with us, we can taste and we can see and we can savor and we can experience his glory. And what a gift that is. We have a lot of priorities. We have a lot of good priorities. But Jesus is the only one who offers us life like that. A rich and satisfying and extraordinary and more than we need abundant life. All the gifts in all the world cannot give us that life. All of our money cannot give us that life. Our education cannot give us that life. Our trips to exotic places cannot give us that life. Our family gatherings cannot give us that life. Our children cannot give us that life. Our accomplishments and achievements cannot give us that life. Our generous acts of service cannot give us that life. The life of Jesus can only be given to us by Jesus. And it is life to the fullest. And it is a life that will never end, a life that we cannot contain, a life given to us to savor, to savor with time spent this Christmas season. Amen.